The Mummy Returns and The Mummy Returns, Marvel takes a huge gamble on Thor and all your parents' favorite shows are cancelled. This week on 30 2010. Ladies and gentlemen and everything in between, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you back across three decades in a single week. What do I mean? I mean we're recording right now. Uh, the week of April 30th through May 6th in three different decades. Sit down, open up a portal on the left to 1991, 2001, and then all the way over to the right, uh, 2011. There. Ugh, I hate saying 2011. Get out of here, 11 and 12. Uh, it's so difficult to say. But 30, 2010, get it? Three decades. Neat. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. I'm Diana Goodman, and this is the last time I can finally admit I shot JR. <laughs> what? It's me, Sarah, and I thought I shot JR. <gasps> You know, if, dun, dun, dun. if it wasn't for <laughs> I Love the 80s, I would never even get this reference at all. Because, I, yeah, I did not watch that show. But there's a bunch of stuff I did watch. And we should say, perhaps the greatest episode of the greatest show of all time is we'll be talking Ooh. about this week. We uh, have a lot of great TV because we're getting we into do. season finales. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, besides a bunch of shows leaving, there's an all-time epic episode of Community. There's an all-time epic episode of uh, Sopranos. We got some good ones. Yeah, and there's. It, it, I love that the. Um, this is sort of where I, where I, you know, became. I was awakened as a little pop culture fan, and I didn't. I watched things other than cartoons, and these were like the three years where I watched the previous generation of television die. That's what I remember. Mm-hmm. Emptiness and growing pains. I'll watch the end of those, even though I have no real connection with these things as first run entertainment. Uh, and there's a ton of that this week. This being the summer, essentially, is it's the start of summer and. Yep. Old television is is canceling everything, or you know, just natural season finales. That's parents' favorite show. Haha. Ha. I also have to say, uh, the show is executive produced by uh, Midna Majora and many other fine people at patreon.com slash lasertime. Five bucks supports the whole Laser Time Network, Video Game Apocalypse, uh, Laser Time, including our giant late Oscar show, but whatever. The Oscars was underwhelming this year. Why can't we have an asterisk? Uh, but hey, all your sketches are gonna be there. Check that out, support the show. Free bonus shows are coming. I can finally jump into Sick of Star Wars, which I've been dying to do. But five bucks, patreon.com slash laser time. April 30th through May 6th. We're going to start out in 1991. I didn't know where to fit this in, uh, but what, do we usually fit music video news and just the regular news? It's not music, yeah, it's not, not TV. Uh, and it's one of those things that has everybody talking. I vaguely remember this Garth Brooks' The Thunder Rolls music video debuts. And then is banned in a little over 24 hours. Why? Why is it banned? I don't understand. So Violence. Viol- mm. do- uh, of the domestic variety. Mm. And I mm. I want to say I maybe finally saw this on Beavis and Butthead. I don't think MTV <laughs> had the same kind of scruples uh, as CMT and TNN, the Nashville network. But they showed the video. They were very excited. And I'm not an expert, but I was here for the Garth Brooks craze. Is this not his most famous song? This no. and low, pro- places. low places, yeah, yeah, unanswered prayers. That's pretty yeah. high too. But yeah, this, never heard of the song probably... you just said. This is up there though. Yeah, this yeah. is up there though. So there's a, a music video that country fans just never got to see, and you can't see it. And yeah, it does have some striking imagery of domestic violence that made 
audience is understandably uncomfortable. If your country music listeners, you lack your things with as little feeling and new and questionable things as possible. What? What? If you're Have you watching listen co- to country music, dude, music's all please, we're talking, do not school me on Merle Haggard. We're talking 1991 CMT. This is all like yes. Chattahoochee, boot scootin' boogie, achy breaky horse shit. These are the people who want the least amount of controversial shit. I'm here to relax. Well, I don't want to think about nothing. Mm-hmm. Let me see Alan Jackson jet ski for another hour. That's what they're, that's, <laughs> that's what they're there for. And I can, I can, I can see them being shocked by this. It, it is also fun. They're like, we'll air it if, if Garth, will record a disclaimer and he's like no this is here for a reason and i don't know how to feel about that because you know maybe people it's understandable people don't want imagery of domestic violence on their tv at like four in the afternoon but yeah he had a vision he's like no i wanted to make a statement about domestic violence it stays and i mean that's actually pretty interesting considering during that time period you are right there was it was from my recollection of growing up in the South during this time period, with it was a lot of party country music, a lot mm. of men on a jet ski wearing jeans, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I can't imagine anything worse for your crotch. I mean, oh. yikes, the chafe. But um, but yeah, I mean, early country music I do think addressed a lot of like political issues. I mean, Johnny yes. Cash it was all up mm-hmm. in the prison abolitionist situation. And yeah, this is a serious issue being addressed by the biggest country music star in the world at this time and forever after, basically. I mean, yeah, until Taylor Swift, basically. Yeah, I think part of the issue is it doesn't just depict domestic violence, but it's a guy is hitting his wife and his little little daughter sees it. Mm-hmm. And I know that they ran this at least on pop-up video on VH1 mm-hmm. to show like right. it's actually a mannequin child in the background, so they wouldn't have well, a little kid good. having to watch it. That's it's good. Like, yeah, but it's it's a fucking awesome song, and it's a really good video. It's so good. It's such a good song. It's yeah. just is it, it any better or worse than Janie's Got a Gun for violence? No, it's better to yeah. me. It's very dramatic and atmospheric and. It does. It it gives you the sense of dread that the situation brings with it, while also being a really wonderfully listenable song. Like it's it's kind of crazy what a good song this is. Like I don't know. I will always love Garth Brooks. He's always got a special place in my heart, and this is one of the best songs ever. And now I'm gonna go look up the music video because I know I've seen it, but I just does not stick out in my head. It's, it's I will weird. say it is impossible to find Garth Brooks's stuff online. That's really? true. It's very true. carefully controlled. Mm-hmm. So if you find it, it's gonna be somewhere illegal. Yeah, all of his music is a Target <laughs> exclusive. Uh, you can't get it anywhere. But there. Yeah, it's like you're not gonna find that shit on YouTube. It is a pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris Gaines, though, all over the place. Well, uh, and. <laughs> I feel like I am maybe talking on my butt about this being like one of the few songs in this time period to address like the sort of social issue. So please feel free to correct me. It's just the vibe I'm getting from remembering what country music radio was like during this time period. Mm, this is when like growing up in the South. I started listening to country radio. It was it was everywhere. It was mainstream for mm-hmm. that hot like the two hot years and uh yeah, all the cute girls in school listened to it. So I decided I would too didn't work wasted those two years on terrible music <laughs> hey what it's not terrible it's great hey, hey. I, the, come on. the music diana was describing fine i believe stadium country music that kind of thing where the, the, you see a live show and it's like 900 musicians yet the the guy whose name is on the album plays an acoustic guitar you can never hear 
that kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, look, I remember watching these music videos. They're awful. And this one, this one is at least interesting, even yeah. though, yeah, music videos is a phenomenon I find pretty difficult to remember because would I have fond memories of this song if it was accompanied by imagery of domestic abuse? Mm. No, no, maybe, but like, you know, MTV had sad videos too that I love. So who knows? True. Moving on to the movies. Also, mm. I mean, you don't really do it like movies you do a double feature but musical double features uh the thunder rolls and then either goodbye earl or gunpowder and lead those go together nice hell yeah and then uh where's the body the new caleb swift (laughs) one or no no body no crime that's it it's supposed to be the new goodbye earl it's very good it's very good y'all i gotta listen to that because gunpowder and lead is like one of my favorite country songs of all time Got to show them what little girls are made of, gunpowder and lead. <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, uh, with that siege of empowerment, we're moving on to the movies of 1991. Mm. Uh, April 30th through May 6th. Oscar is still number one at the box office. I, uh, how? Just because there's no competition. No competition at all. Yeah, it Yikes. doesn't make much sense no. at all. That's the If you no. weren't listening last week, the Sylvester Stallone screwball throwback comedy from John Landis. Uh, we don't yep. recommend it. Victim of Love is also this week with Pierce Brosnan, Joe Beth Williams, uh, and Virginia Madsen. Okay, this went by like 8,000 titles. Originally appears to have been made for TV and then oh. was so popular. They put in like sexier scenes and put it oh. out on VHS. I think it yes. went to theaters overseas, but it's like 18 different titles. Yes. But I like it's, it. it's a, you know, not R-rated erotic thriller. <laughs> I saw about- this. In my TV research, actually, this week. Aha! Uh-huh. So yes. this actually belongs in TV. But it yeah. did, like, go to theaters other places because it's got big-ass stars. Pierce Brosnan is kind of a black widower. Or is he? And he's seeing a therapist and also her patient. Did he kill his last wife? Is he coming to kill them, too? Who cares? He's Pierce Brosnan. Get it, girl! Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! Hell yeah! We also have uh, Rage in Harlem with Forrest Whitaker, Gregory Hines, and Robin Given. Wow, is this a weird movie. Okay, first of yeah. all, can we say that title is like the best title of all it time? It really is it's great. Good. Like, but it does not tell you what this movie is because this movie is crazy pants. First of all, it is directed by Bill Duke, who you might remember as the guy in Predator <laughs> with the from razor. Predator. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's adapting a book that he seemed convinced is a very serious, gritty crime story. Except, like, no one seems to have told him that it's a comedy, and most people are. It's played played like a comedy. Like it's way funnier than it is gritty. Huh. And I like all all the actors were like, "Oh yeah, this scene's gonna be great." And he's this is gonna be really funny. And he's like, "No, it isn't. This is a fucking drama." So either Bill Duke is insane, or he's like the most method director ever and knows that if everyone plays things straight, it's funnier. Huh. It's very confusing. So Robin Givens, who has one might be the most beautiful woman in the world at this point, she is stunning is this like gangster's mall who runs off with a bunch of money and goes and hides out with Forrest Whitaker playing a super Christian nebbish and then gets involved with his brother, Gregory Hines, who mm. runs a club and is a scam artist. And then the guys come looking for their money and there's like, it's <laughs> there's double crossing and wackiness ensuing, but it's, it could be a, a hard crime drama, but it's actually pretty funny, hmm. but weird. Wow. It's it's odd. It's an odd little film, but I ended up kind of enjoying it. Just it's weird to see Forrest Whitaker as a nebbish man. That's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> He's just a big, big oafy guy. 
And you're like, okay, but you could probably strangle everyone like without trying, right? And he's like, <laughs> nope, I'm just a mild mannered accountant. He I'll drink milk at the bar, please. What? Yeah. So it's an oddity. Milk at the bar always makes me think of uh, Police Academy. Hell yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. Very, very solid slash terrible Police Academy reference in this. (laughs) The Oscar time. Yeah. A Rage in Harlem. It is weird. It is niche, but I guess watchable. It's like a really light recommend, especially if you just want to see like 50s black excellence. Mm hmm. And Gregory Hines doing comedy, which he was actually really good at. Yeah, I was going to say, not a lot of other funny people in this movie. It's fucking weird, man. It cannot decide what it is. I like weird. Weird is better than... I I was trying to watch a little bit of this on YouTube. Oh my god, I would recommend A Rage in Harlem with all my caveats. So much more than this next movie. Yeah, Benjamin Bratt, Anthony LaPaglia, um, Rene Russo, and Michael Keaton. One good cop. From Hollywood Pictures. Before you go, darling, please, you go. Yeah, come on, come on. Artie and Steve were partners, friends, cops. They told you this was strictly voluntary, right? Yeah. No, you don't! But now, his partner's gone. Made me legal guardian of his kid. And an old enemy is threatening Artie's new family. Just took his wife and kids. Soon life and death won't matter. Do you think these guys are out? Michael Keaton is one good cop. Rated R. One good cop. Man, I, I when I read the synopsis, like, uh, when his partner dies, he's left caring for three children. I'm like, oh, his, his police partner. His, po- <laughs> his police partner? Like, there has to be a way you can wiggle out of that. But Michael Keaton can't. He's got, he is one good cop and will stoop to anything to save his partner's family uh, who was murdered on the job. Yeah, this movie has the weirdest... M- morality that's yeah. ever been i argue with the title i don't think he's a good cop <laughs> no. i think he's a terrible cop because yes he takes in his partner's children and it's like oh if, you know they're gonna take him away if like we don't move to a house and like set up a better life for them so he steals a fuck ton of drug money yeah what? from and... from the dealer who was involved in killing his partner which makes right just... so he decides that Makes it justice. He remains and, like, one good cop. <laughs> right. It uses that to like put a down payment on a house. And then he gives the rest to like a church. Mm-hmm. And th- I think he kills the drug dealer. And then it's like, <laughs> but I did it for the kids. And, Everyone knows and then, you have like, to launder that. Yeah. You can't yeah. just buy a house with stolen money. Yeah, with 25 That's grand. How do you clean yeah. it? Oh my then, God. TurboTax would flag that immediately, let alone the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then they're like, all the cops get together and they're like, well, you did a bad thing, but you did it for good reasons, so you're still one good cop. And he pays no penalty. Yes. And it's all treated like, wow, he did what he had to do. I I believe many of the reviewers took a ton of issue with that. All of the cops conspiring together to ignore the other cops crying. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, this movie's so perfect 30 years later. Oh, so unrealistic. Mm, in spite they of everything, never Michael Keaton cover is up these cop. crimes by mm, their no. buddy co-workers. Oh, no. one good cop. Ugh. We cannot recommend, and it is streaming nowhere. Uh, mm. <laughs> A Renee Russo coast to coast this week, though. Oh, shit, really? Hey. Yeah, you're right. Uh, oh, yeah. I know exactly which Only one, one of them does she wield a sword. If she wielded a sword in One Good Cop, I'd feel a lot better about the movie. Yeah, she I only mean. wields stern looks in this movie. Uh, <laughs> moving on to television, uh, Diana's favorite time of year. <laughs> Coming off its Oscar <laughs> nomination for the Will Ferrell Eurovision movie. 
The Eurovision Song Contest, one of Danny's favorite things. What's going on here? Love it. Uh, well, this year's winner is uh, Carola from Sweden with Vanguard of Unstormwind. And this is where Europe, like, literally, like, Rick and Morty show me what you got. And, yes, and- exactly. Every every country submits one song, and uh, <laughs> and then they everyone votes. You can't vote for yourself. And then uh, it's, the, it's named, like, the best song. And this is it. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, the Eurovision movie with Will Ferrell should have explained it to you pretty well. Okay. Except that it's dumb. It's like Miss America with singing or uh, American Idol, but <laughs> with different countries. But the production values every year get weirder and weirder and dumber and dumber. And the song is usually like a lowest common denominator type thing. And this is like 1991 encapsulated in Swedish. <laughs> This fall on ABC. I, wow. I, I, I know I hear California in there somewhere. Can't can't quite explain it. But yeah, see, back in the day, you had to submit your song had to be in your native language, so it made mm-hmm. it. I thought it was way more fun, but now you can do it in any language. So everyone sings in English, bullshit. and it's not as much fun. It's bullshit. Mm. Uh, also out this week. Uh, what is this? What are we talking about? April 30th through May 6th, 1991 television. Are we just highlighting the title or this is a great episode of Merge She Wrote? Take this just the, the combination of actors. That's why I always point out Murder, She Wrote's Tainted Lady guest starring Gary Lockwood. So the other guy in space in 2001. D. Wallace Stone, E.T.'s mom. Nina Falk, who is a actress from the 40s and famous uh, famous acting teacher and Don Swayze, Patrick's brother. Wow. Oh, wow, but is it murder? She wrote or murders. She wrote like attorneys general murder. Comma, <laughs> she wrote. I don't know. Murders. Why. She wrote murder. I think it's got to be the murders. She wrote because she's writing about different murders. Every episode's mm. a different murder. Yeah. Right? But if she does it every week, sure. then yeah, she's only really about one murder that week. God, have you yeah. heard of that Stephen King out? So more than one is all right. <laughs> it's Moving only on. one every week. <laughs> They also, could... I've been alternating between Murder, She Wrote, Columbo, and Rockford Files as, like, my throwback wow. quality things to watch. Oh, uh, yeah. I haven't, that's why I haven't finished Happy Endings yet. It's because, damn it, I need to watch Columbo freak some guy out. Man, Sam went through a Columbo phase a couple years ago, and we watched, like, he watched them all, and I watched them passively, like, while I was around. And so enjoyable, so relaxing. Love oh, Peter nice. Falk. Love Peter Falk. So yeah. much fun. High recommend. Mm-hmm. And, Those uh, are my big recommends right now. Is like, uh, and just the costumes. Yeah. <laughs> Those ugly 70s suits. Yes. You know, we, we never impress upon you like how important and popular those tv movies were was it swish at birth we talked about last week yeah yes that is yeah that is number one in the ratings uh of mm-hmm. last week mm-hmm. that beats cheers for the most watched thing of the week God damn. and uh we have another tv movie this week back when tv movies were huge on the networks cry in the wild the taking of peggy ann with david morse and many <laughs> yeah. follows another true story talking about the no. kidnapping of a young woman Peggy Ann Brandick that happened in 1966 um, and she got kidnapped on her way to a bus stop with her siblings and there was a manhunt and yeah the person who kidnapped her had spent time in prison and in a insane asylum and 
it basically is the stuff of after school movies and you know made for tv movies it's like kind of perfectly situated for that sort of thing to set up people's fears of letting their children out of their house and i'm sure that was exacerbated by the fact that david morse plays the kidnapper (laughs) one of the scariest guys ever that guy is always frightening always until until you told me that i was going to assume he played the one good cop that <laughs> tracked down <laughs> Peggy Ann. That dude me. is sinister AF. Yeah. Like, yeah, if he's your kidnapper, time. you might be dead by the end of that movie. I don't know, Peggy. Sorry. Ooh. But yes, like we said, a bunch of shows are ending this week, including a show called Hunter, which I know oh, yeah. next to nothing about. I don't know. Oh, Hunter idea. was fun. I mean, it's a it's a police, you know, detective show starring Fred Dreyer, who's a former <laughs> former uh NFL defensive lineman. Oh. And um but He's yeah, one of those another theme. We have people moving from sports and sports entertainment into entertainment entertainment this oh. week. So Fred Dreyer, that's a good example. So Fred Dreyer and Stephanie Kramer, and he's a detective, and it's in LA and it's hard boiled. And I also I finally realized, oh, this is the show that I remember the Stephen J. Cannell ending from. The little tag at the end, the vanity card. We had the whole episode of about vanity nice. cards. Yes. And yes. this has the one that is like he's typing at a typewriter and yes. the page like flies up through the air, like going to heaven. He's blessing us all with this thing. It's like, oh, I think it's because yeah, because it it's noise. like it was either that or the A team. And I didn't watch the A team that much, but I remember watching Hunter with my dad. So I, I, we looked into that show that is really that guy, and he's named his production company after himself and stars in his own ident. It's ridiculous. Great. <laughs> it's I mean, that's what I do. Dumb. Yeah, but Hunter went gosh seven seasons yeah wow i mean it was around for a long time that would be impressive if it wasn't on the exact same night as dallas holy shit dallas airs its last in 356th episode (laughs) holy Mm -hmm. shit dallas 14 years man wow 14 years of i would guess like 26 episode seasons holy fuck yep an hour each back when television cost things it went for it writers wore their little fingers to the bone i mean i know that like we're in season what 32 of the simpsons and that doesn't seem that long but 14 years that was that's insane epic back in the day i mean that the, is crazy the sequin budget alone <laughs> is like more than anything that the simpsons has ever spent let's be honest I, I, and that's what's weird like it, it did have enough of an effect on pop culture that i can through osmosis, understand Dallas references. Not that I've encountered many in the last mm-hmm. dozen well, or so years. There are two. There are two that are 1,000% lasting in, in th- who shot JR, mm-hmm. of course, and Patrick Duffy being in a shower, and that whole last season means nothing. Yes. There... It was all a dream. And, and uh, the, theme so- the theme or intro, like I've, I, I, oh, rec- yeah. I can recognize it when you're parodying Dallas, and this episode ends on a on a fucking cliffhanger, who shot Jr. Well, at the end of the episode, he is holding a gun to his own head, and you hear bang. And mm-hmm. I think the I don't know is this the Perry Mason plan? Like you you cancel the show, but then you come back every three years with a TV movie. Although this took so right. this cliffhanger from the finale took five years to resolve, and <sighs> then was retconned because everyone listening forgot Dallas came back in 2012 with the same cast and continued the story and retcon the TV movies. 
I totally look. It's you're justified in forgetting all about that. In fact, I'm proud of you <laughs> if you did. But Dallas was that was a TNT. It was a TNT show, I believe. Yeah, when it came back as a TNT show. Yeah. Yeah. But uh. But 1978 to 1991. That's crazy. Wow. There's a lot of cultural change through the entire age. <laughs> truly, truly. Yeah, wow. Straddling three decades like that. Um, that's Eight. insane. And uh, on this, uh, um, lastly, uh, this week, uh, an episode of Seinfeld airs, which is incredibly confusing. Having watched this on uh, on in syndication, but uh, mm-hmm. this is it is this is Elaine and Jerry discovering. You know what? Why are we fucking around? Why can't yeah. we have this, They're, that, and the other? This, what? that, and the other. This? Yeah, they're inventing friends with benefits. Yes. In, yeah. in, a, in a network comedy, safer TV way. What if we did? What if? Is that like the end of the world or something? Certainly not. Why shouldn't we be able to do that once in a while if we want to? I know! I mean, really, what is the big deal? We go in there, we're in there for a while, and we come back down here. It's not complicated. It's almost stupid if we didn't. It's more <laughs> I love it so much. I'd be willing to bet someone proved me wrong. This is one of the first discussions of truly casual friend sex, yes. like on network television, yeah. uh, that this is a possibility that we don't have to couch it in like unresolved feelings or, you know, yes, no one's in love with anybody secretly pining for someone else, which makes it a perfect Seinfeld plot point. And I love the way the episode ends where the whole episode they go through, they have the, this and the, that, but the whole system breaks down Mm -hmm. when it comes to a birthday present. How, what birthday present do you give your friend that you're also casually having sex with? And Jerry cannot figure it out. If it's a woman, (laughs) <laughs> yes go on no please it's, tell it's just saying that's that's the factor yeah and so he ends up giving her cash yes. 182 dollars <laughs> what's wrong with that <laughs> uh, i mean it feels a little too yeah. that way i feel like if i were in her situation i'd rather have nothing than money cold hard cash but it is, and then the episode ends. Dripping, they... you'd rather have that dripping Seinfeld dong. That's, that's... <laughs> it's okay to vomit your own mouth. The the episode ends, and they go back to having sex again. Yes. And then the season goes on, and we never return to that storyline ever again. <laughs> yeah, which I also love because, like, so, I, I mean, look, in my singleish days, I was kind of a pro at that, and I love it. <laughs> you could be affectionate with let's just say and not have to worry about any of those attachments and then eventually one day you just trick one of them into marrying you and it all works out (laughs) hasn't worked out so well for me but but i do i do remember it's a really good point i'm thinking of like other shows where you know friends would hook up and it's always the scene after of like what does this mean for us yes. mm-hmm. oh that, does this mean we're dating now we're gonna have to act weird and it's like, no. yes i would go so this far can just be your thing because yeah. they usually when this happens like the people they like go out to a bar huh no one else showed up hard cut to them in bed and the audience laughs and you don't know how they well, got there mm-hmm. because they got super drunk too right. that's always part of it too it's like <laughs> oh my god we got so drunk and i can't believe we ended up in bed I, together I didn't even go so, it's weird i'd even go so far mm-hmm. as to say this is the my first recollection of <laughs> the representation of female horniness on a network television show because yeah. she's like 
Yeah. Why can't we? It's stupid if we don't. Like, <laughs> we're bored. Let's do. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Well, the whole, the whole, the whole situation is born out of the fact that they're just watching TV together, and mm-hmm. they come across some softcore porn mm-hmm. like late at night, and they're both <laughs> like super horned up, and so they're like, well, "Why not?" It makes perfect sense to me. Like, I I, I just love that this depiction comes up in 1991. We really don't ever see it again, honestly, like without some sort of weird secret feelings at least attached to it. And and I've watched a shit ton of sitcoms and I can tell you it does not come up again, really. The the backstory is fun in that the network was constantly on Jerry and Larry David to – bring Elaine and Jerry back together so they can have a functional mm-hmm. couple on the show. And they hated the idea. And then I think Larry David came up with the idea of <laughs> a similar situation, which I think, you know, we've all been in. I don't know. Usually it, with feelings and more feelings involved, but you break up with someone mm-hmm. and for a little while, there's some residual hooking up, but yeah. uh, mm-hmm. basing it on that. And then, well, that one, I will give friends credit on that one. Bonus night. They have established. That's, a that's thing. true. That's true. And, yeah. and and this episode was supposed to be the final episode of that season, but they showed them out of order. So there, it's mm-hmm. oh. it was immediately confusing to people watching next week because this is not addressed at all. Because at right, the end of this exactly. episode, they're still together. And but the way Larry David thought of it, like yeah, the end of the season with them hooking up, and he's like, and that is that wrapped up. We never have to talk about this again. And just like, oh, what a, what a fucking brilliant way to get the network off your backs. Yeah, we did it once. <laughs> what do you want? Like, <laughs> yeah, and because they didn't close off that thing you could say no they're obviously a couple what's your problem can't you see it yeah yeah (laughs) well and i like too i mean seinfeld has always been pretty good at trusting the audience Mm -hmm. with shorthand trusting the audience to enjoy a situation without having the backstory spelled out and we never see seinfeld and elaine together as a couple really at all Mm -hmm. it's a fact of the story that they at one time had dated and then they broke up his parents bring it up a lot how they've always liked her (laughs) they always like them together but we never get to and and i like that we didn't have to get into like well why did they break up how did they meet how long did they date like did it like we never had to get into that we can just accept the fact that these two adults had a relationship had a sexual relationship didn't work out they were better as friends and they're all best yeah. friends a label that they would hate if i if i put they hate <laughs> they would probably hate the word best friends but that's what they are and i love it i think mm. it's so much fun yeah. mm. you don't I see it oh, back this then is a good you don't see it TV. now oh my god so. all right we gotta get into music of 1991 before we uh exit the decade entirely baby baby by amy grant is still number one we also have new sure. releases, uh, Laughter and Lust by Joe Jackson, Union by Yes, Why Do Birds Sing by Violent Femmes, Bullhead by the Melvins, Cooley Eye Harmony. Uh, that is the debut of Boys, Woo. Two Men. And we will close yes, out with- You know what, what we're playing. You the, know uh, what we are playing. Love Their it. origin story in song. Yes. I love it. Yes, the, one of the greatest songs of all time, Motown Philly. We will uh-huh. close out with that from Boys to Men, and we will be right back after this tiny break. Stay there.
Coming into 2001 with Survivor by Destiny Child off the album of the same name. Everybody knows this song. Come now. Come now. Hell yeah. And you know. I was shocked this didn't go to number one because so many other songs off this did. I know. I, Damn. You're telling me it, it never did? I would Not Survivor. Wow. No. That's, that's insane. I mean, this song was everywhere. And you know it's 2001 when that happens. Uh, April 30th through May 6th. 2001. Say hello to Destiny's Child for us. Also, some new music releases, including Blood, Sweat, and Years by JT Money, Rock Action by Mogwai, Carrying On by Montgomery Gentry, Trouble in Shangri-La by Stevie Nicks, and Dillager and Young Gotti by The Dog Pound. Snoop Dogg adjacent friends, I'm guessing. Snoop and his mm-hmm. friends. Uh, All For You by Janet Jackson is still number one. That's why Survivor couldn't make it. You can't. It's a much better song. Yeah. Um, ooh, I was going to throw some news in here, but I had to surprise Diana, but she beat me. Um, 2001 news to let you know what's happening in the world around this time. During a trip to uh, Syria, Pope John Paul II becomes the first pope to enter a mosque. Which... Ooh, JP2. Yeah. Yep. That's why he was cool, mostly. Yeah. Well, probably the first pope to enter a mosque and not murder someone. Yes. And, and, and not take <laughs> not a bunch of shit. on horseback with a sword. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, hey, still one more Moss than me. So good on you. Good on you, JP the second. Um, oh, well, that's why I he's Pope and you're not. Yeah. I went to a mosque uh, after the Christchurch shooting for oh. Solidarita and to make a donation. And I was the only woman there and they had a little woman section and it kind of cracked me up. A little woman section. <laughs> oh, no. For all the little women. <laughs> So much better when you guys do it. It's... It, it, it cracked me up because, like, you could see, oh, this is also where the squirrely children are because it's like there's toy car tracks all over the floor. No, nope, that's <laughs> for the little women. <laughs> it's for the little women to ride around in their little cars. <laughs> the matchbox cars of the little women. I never expected you guys to do this. This is, this is wonderful to experience. <laughs> um, it was uh, kayfabe done to mock you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we retook it. Good. Mm-hmm. We're reclaiming. Little weenie. <laughs> uh, um, I think they say what was so extravagant about the OJ thing, other than the proceedings that we saw unfold, is that he's the most famous murderer. So he, Robert Blake, didn't make much of a blip compared to OJ. But he would have been had OJ not come along. The most famous potential murderer, Robert Blake's wife, Bonnie Lee uh, Bakley, uh, 44, found shot in her car, and he's found not guilty in 2005. Yeah, a lot like OJ before him. This is one of these where it's like your excuses are dumb, but I can't prove otherwise. His his excuse was like, I couldn't have shot my wife. I went back in the restaurant to get my gun. Right, right, okay. Yeah, I was going to need a little bit of a primer on this because I kind of remember this whole thing going down. But I I think I also confused this with Spectre. Didn't he shoot someone? Oh, Phil Spectre. Phil Spectre, yeah. I think I confused them. So He was guilty. This is Beretta. a show I also don't know anything about. Again, your parents are going to yeah. love this episode. Mm-hmm. But but they, they he he his excuse was I wasn't there because I went back in the restaurant to get my gun when she was shot in the head and sitting in our car. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that gun was found to not be the murder weapon. It well, I, I, I famously people who own guns only own one. Well, I think I think <laughs> everybody there, knows that. There, maybe he's not guilty of murder, but it seems I thought the mm. guilty of hiring a murder. Could and have, having a yeah. likely alibi, a very easy yeah. alibi. Yeah, it's a fun one to look into where it's just, yeah, at the end of the day, you're like, I'm not really sure what the hell happened. <laughs> like, 
there's like 18 possibilities that are all yeah, that seems like that could happen. Man. And, and did yeah, we, did, it's a weird one. And moving into movies, or should I say movie of 2001, yeah, April 30th Everyone 6th. gets out of the way. We need some background on this, though. Yeah. In 90, what is it? 98? 99. 99, because it, it was the year Phantom Menace came out, and everyone's like, that wasn't very good. Can we see The Mummy mm-hmm. again? Because The yeah. Mummy like tore mummy, ass. It, yeah, because it came out in May like early mid-May, which was not really summer yet. Mm-hmm. And it, it kicked off the summer early and it ruled and it did amazing box office. It's a big, you know, events extravaganza, but it's also old fashioned action like Raiders of Lost Dark or something. Yes. And yeah, the first mummy fucking kicks ass. And now here we got a sequel mm-hmm. and okay. That's big news. And also we have the film debut of 20 years later, <laughs> the biggest star in the world. Wow. I didn't yes. know this and I'm was I'm kind of putting that in quotes yes. because they sell it as co-starring The Rock, and he's in it for about four minutes. He yeah. he is, but they're, they're very clearly setting up a spinoff, which they got yep. to because it took them forever to make another one of these, considering yeah. that this was more successful than the first. But mm-hmm. I also remember it was they had this it was this huge WWE cross promotion because it's one mm-hmm. of the few times this has happened less less than you think in the credits he is called Dwayne quotes the rock johnson his wrestling name is in it in these credits here and it, it was brilliant cross promotion uh mm-hmm. what are we talking about dwayne johnson Oded fear uh john hannah rachel wise brennan fraser number one in the box office this week the mummy returns comes to the pad and the adventure never dies come Return. Yeah, so as we, I will start apologizing as we head into summer movies. The spectacle is what they're selling it on. And so some of these were terrible in audio. There was cool, mm-hmm. like, little mummies fighting guys and sand monsters and, you know, armies of Anubis the dead and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and in sound, you don't you don't get that, man. Mm-hmm. But, but it was more of what the people wanted. And I have always been rather ashamed by my indifference to this series. Because mm-hmm. I love Universal Monsters. The the mm-hmm. Mummy is my least favorite of the Universal Monsters. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, but, I think mm-hmm. I think they might be my favorite. The the Boris Karloff one is pretty much just Dracula, but with cool Egyptian shit. Yeah, and it, and just I I I didn't get the first one, and I saw this one once, and I just never got back around to it. It's in the house mm-hmm. somewhere. But... I can't remember if I saw the first one, but I watched this one for I watched it this weekend mm-hmm. actually to prep and i found myself quite enjoying it it definitely gives you some real indiana jones vibes but with the woman having more to do and a more fun role i mean rachel vices and a fight scene so great yeah she's yeah, awesome in this and yeah i mean i don't know it's very fun i wish i had seen it in a theater honestly because it probably would have blown my little brain out on mm-hmm. in 2001 seeing a theater because visually it, it looks pretty great i mean it does kind of look like a video game in a lot of ways um, the effects I, i'm sure most our audience is, is are there are plenty of effects that look great in this but i'm yeah. sure our audience who is more than familiar with snarky youtubers and maybe a show we did about cg this is the worst cg i've ever seen in in terms of <laughs> scorpion king and the rock it it, it looks fucking awful and yeah. it looks like a PlayStation One. It, it yeah. looks really, really bad. He makes facial express. The Rock has a ton of facial expressions, none of which show <laughs> up in this CG Scorpion King character. It's it, well, it's it looks awful. 
the 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 mummy guy, the scary mm-hmm. mummy guy that's like throughout the hole, whose like face is kind of like yeah, falling yeah. off and everything. He's got the whole uh, hollow man treatment yeah. basically. When they finally put skin on him, what actor is that? Is that Oded Fair? Is that Arnold Vosloo maybe? Okay, I'm not sure. Oh. It felt like a Billy Zane. Like a dollar store <laughs> Billy Zane in a way. And I for a second there I had to be like, is that Billy Zane? He had bad face work happening. Like, I don't know what's going on. But yeah, it's fun. I wish the child wasn't in it. Like we don't yeah. need a little eight year old to be running around this movie. It's felt yeah. Oh, things oh, down yeah they a have lot. a they have a massive time jump because the director's like, I just don't want to work with fucking babies. So it's only yeah. been three years since the previous movie, but the children are all aged up. It's it's, yeah. it's set ten yeah. years afterwards. Yeah, I I I have a real warm spot for the original mummy. I think it's it's done really well. This one, I feel like they're like they're cramming a lot of stuff in here, and there's like a little too much stuff. There's a lot of mythology that kind of needed to be pared down. The kid not needed, and then they find a way to cram him into the plot. Besides getting kidnapped, which I mean that was inevitable, and. Yeah, and then by the end, they're clearly just trying to set up Scorpion King as a thing with, my God, the effects, it's like Nintendo 64 effects, man. It looks really bad for a movie that is so effects-driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a lot of these do not hold up very well, and but that one, even at the time, we were like, ugh, ugh. Man. man, watching it, though, really gave me such great flashbacks to writing the mummy ride at universal studios that is what one i love favorite, the most it's so good it's one of my favorite dark rides of all time mm-hmm. it's pretty much perfect like i absolutely love that it will never replace jaws in my mind but it definitely gives you the jaws vibe of like i'm going to burn to death in this ride yes. because the fire is so close to your head they do like a thing <laughs> where the ceiling's on fire and i every single time i feel like well now i'm dead because I will be back. And then that then you get here. to the end of the ride it's like please step out of the car and then this the glass explodes on you it's but it's water he's like I'm the mummy actually and the ride just goes backwards <laughs> through the fire. It's, yes! it's it's wonderful. Sorry it's to spoil so... a, like a 10-year-old ride. I have somewhere a keychain with a picture of me on that ride. Mm-hmm. It is the best picture that's ever been taken of me. <laughs> I I look so happy. I have never been that happy in my life. And I, di- I, I got on the ride like, this used to be Kong. I didn't like the mummy that much. That ride rules. Not it's the Hollywood so one. Much, that one is not as good. It's so much better than Kong. But mm, also that I went to Universal Studios several years ago with our friends, the Aarons. Mm-hmm. And Aaron the boy is like me. He does not like a scary ride. He does not like the upsy downsies uh, roller coaster. So... For instance, when we went to Universal Studios and Islands of Adventure, he and I rode the flying unicorn ride with all the babies <laughs> while our partners rode the upside down rides. But we we convinced him to go on the mummy ride. And he, we were like, it's just going to be fun. There's nothing upside down. It's just a fun dark ride. And he got so mad at it afterwards that he didn't talk to us it's, for like an hour. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's an indoor <laughs> roller. It's so an indoor scary. roller coaster. but it, So it's a small roller coaster, but it's still a it's, roller coaster. It's more... It's more of a dark ride. You're not really like roller coastering. I don't nice. know. It's less intense of a roller coaster than like Space Mountain. I guess. But there's a lot more yeah. fire and stuff going on. Yes, there's more. That's why I see it's a, it's visually more intense. That's uh, why it's a dark ride, not a roller coaster. I uh, <laughs> see. Thinking about that means I should probably be nicer to the mummy. That is a really good ride. I, yeah. I say with very little <laughs> affection to the property. But uh, so good. I, yeah, I feel like maybe the, the audience 
maybe soured a little on this because they didn't turn around another well, sequel in, for another like six years. Hmm. And yeah, and then I mean, my Hollywood husband Tom Cruise thought he was going to Ooh. come in like gangbusters and redo the whole Universal Monsters the Dark World. Oh, <sighs> the Dark World. That website's so sad. So the only legacy from that. Uh, movie is his glorious butt implants. What? <laughs> what? Don't you remember that screenshot? No. It's from the mummy where he's like, there's this screenshot of a one point where he's like running or he's like falling down and his butt is like a perfect sphere. Oh, sweet. Like a mono cheek. <laughs> he's got one of those going on too. <laughs> no, not a mono butt. It's two, it's like two basketballs in his khakis. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the mummy that that screenshot came from. But anyways, that's the only legacy of Tom Cruise's venture into the Universal Monsters mm-hmm. universe. Yeah, unfortunately. But the Mummy Returns. The Mummy Returns. Uh, not a bad flick from what I can remember, despite uh, having very little expectations. Yeah, um, it's fine. Let us I know mean, what you thought. Yeah, generally stupid fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, great. not as good as the first one. And moving in, that, and that's the only movie that's released this week. Everyone got out of the way because what a huge, like, sleeper success the original Mummy was. It, it was on yep. the top of the box office charts for the entire summer. Uh, it did really, really, really well. I had many friends that saw it numerous times in the theater, the original. Moving to television of 2001, once again, wither your poor parents because their favorite CBS dramedy. Uh, I, I never saw it. I don't know what it's about. And when I think of it, I think of the one publicity still I saw of Don Johnson and Cheech Marin in a convertible, looking up yep. and smiling. Nash Bridges has closed its car door i don't know what this show is <laughs> i don't know i don't have any idea it's what another is. i mean it's basically another detective show ah. but, mm-hmm. but lighter and uh, six seasons they filmed here in san francisco and the crew was very nice every time i ran into them <laughs> i don't know it, it, it's created by carlton cues the lost guy uh no shit yeah wow. apparently and uh we also have what another murder she wrote a tv oh, movie but- Wow. TV movie, like you were saying with yeah. Dallas, how the show ends and then they come back every now and then for TV movies. This cast so we is have insane. The cast. Again, Whoa. I have to highlight the cast. Angela Lansbury, obviously, but Felicia Rashad, mom from Cosby Show, David Ogden Stiers, Winchester from MASH, Sir Welton Goggins, Hell and yeah. Taraji P. Hansen mm-hmm. before they were in us. Yeah. Wow. Love me some Sir Welton Goggins. Oh, yeah. Mm. I'm going to assume he did it. I didn't check, but... <laughs> seems like he's capable of murder. He can't help yeah. that his face looks like that and his yeah. teeth. Yeah. The, uh, here's your sperm. Uh, sorry, I just saw the community episode. <laughs> we'll get to community later on. On the 6th, we have, a, I think, a pretty famous episode of Futurama. It, I know it squeaks into a lot of people's top 10s. Time keeps on slipping. Uh, uh, a wonderful this... tale of, of <laughs> inadvertent time travel meets Space Jam. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of those things that, like, I think Futurama does the best is when they do have, like, a little bit of science and then they just go crazy with it. Of Like, yeah, time just keeps jumping for reasons. And so people will just appear in a room and stuff. And it all falls to (laughs) the Globetrotters coming from the Globetrotter homeworld. A running gag I love on that show so much. The idea that, yeah, the Globetrotters, A, are aliens and B, come from, like, a super mathematically advanced homeworld. They're the world's greatest mathematicians. <laughs> yes. And and I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why that t- it, I watched this episode today and I forgot about how tickled I am by any reference to the Harlem Glo- Globetrotters. It's like yeah. the only thing from a hundred years ago you can enjoy. 
uh, today. <laughs> it's fantastic, and it's, making them aliens is great. I've always loved the line Bubblegum Tate gives here. I am Ethan Bubblegum Tate, commander of the Harlem Globetrotters. <gasps> For generations, your puny planet has lived in peace with the Globetrotter homeworld. But now... For no reason, we challenge you to defend your honor on the basketball court. <laughs> Will no one meet our challenge? Have none of you pathetic earthlings game? What happens if we lose? Nothing. There's nothing at stake and no threat. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I love a no-stake situation. Yes. <laughs> like, it rarely comes up. Like the, the so. credits are still coming up in the episode when that happens. They're telling you there are no stakes. <laughs> it's so funny. But it's a, a time travel story and does that, I think, what eventually would become Futurama's trademark. Like, uh, this is really off the wall and then nerdy and sciencey, and then there's something sweet at the end. Uh, yeah. And... um. On, on the 5th, we have a Saturday Night Live with uh, your host, Pierce Brosnan, with musical guest Destiny Again. Child. Yeah. All right. I know. I, when I, we said his name on the previous segment, I'm like, that's he waited a while to host SNL. Uh, yeah, I that wonder movie. what he's promoting, or if anything. I or maybe don't... he's just being Pierce. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I would guess I'm a Bond sure. movie. This is only hosting. Uh, no, no Bond movies. None coming up. His only hosting stint, I believe, Pierce Brosnan. Um, And I looked through some sketches. I didn't know they made a sequel to the Jeffrey sketch from the Sean Hayes episode. It does not go over as... It's just so... Horatio Sands and Jimmy Fallon trying to crack one another up Mm. really gets obnoxious in it, so I didn't even bother to get a clip. Because, get out the way, what many consider the greatest episode of the greatest television show of all time... Uh, is, is out this Sunday. I remember vividly, I was just happened to be at my parents' house. I'm like, oh, it's a new one. Check it out. And then we were, m- my dad and I were hooked. Like it was like double overtime in a sports game. Edge of our seats. Wonderful episode, Pine Barrens. Pine Barrens. And it's, uh, you know, Diana, did we talk about this on Talking Terrific Television? Didn't we? Yeah, hear we did. And they put it to us like, is is this the best episode of The Sopranos or is it the best episode of anything? And I feel like it's in my top 10 of For sure. best episodes I've ever seen. It's just fabulous. Well, I, I think part of that. Even though it is part of, partly, it's extremely atypical. It's kind of a bottle episode. Yes. It kind of is. Well, first of all, it's unsurprising that it's one of your favorite episodes of anything because it is directed by your dog. Yes. Steve it Buscemi is. is your, I think it's his, his, his entrance into The Sopranos, even though it's behind the camera. Yeah. He'll eventually become mm-hmm. Tony's cousin in uh, season yep. five. Right. But it is kind of, I think, a per- like I was reading in the Soprano sessions that this is the episode that a lot of people use to convince people to watch the Sopranos. It's their entry episode, which this I think that's true for a lot of people because, yeah, it is kind of a bottle episode, but it also kind of has an element of everything that you love about the Sopranos. Yes. Funny, there's dread, death threats. There's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get to see like Tony with Melfi, you get to see the like his relationships play out, you get to see his best guma, him and his best guma ever from the show, like interact with each other and how crazy she is. Like, oh shit, that's right, Gloria throws a meat at him, right? Yes, yes. yeah, <laughs> like 
it kind of has everything that you want from a Sopranos episode all rolled into one without it feeling contrived. It didn't, it doesn't feel like that's what they were trying to do, which makes it even better. Yeah. And it, also, it, it was, it felt like it was out of nowhere when we were watching, yeah. like when you first watched it. I almost don't want, like, I, that's part of the reason I think why I like it so much is because it is one of those episodes that can be enjoyed like a movie. If you've mm-hmm. seen the show, mm-hmm. you can put this on yeah. and it's perfectly and it's almost entirely centered around two characters and that's it. Mm-hmm. And 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 their interplay together, their relationship is so, so interesting funny. with each other and then also in relation to their relationship with Tony. Mm-hmm. Like how their relationship with individual relationships with Tony impact their relationship with each other. And then they also have their relationship independent of that. And it's also very, very funny. It's, like it's, it's a so funny. If, if, if the name doesn't spark anything, this is the episode where Christopher and Polly Walnuts really they start a confrontation with a Russian guy they didn't need to. It gets out of hand. They take him out to the Pine Barrens in New Jersey to whack him, and he gets away, even though it appears he was shot in the head. Mm-hmm. I've watched that scene over <laughs> and, and over. It really looks like in the sh- woods. <laughs> it's just them being lost in the woods. Two two men like. Not a, simultaneously old school, but not old school enough to survive in the New Jersey mm-hmm. forest in the winter. It is it is so funny watching them suck ketchup packets and yell <laughs> at one another. I, I think that's part of the genius of it too, is because so much of uh, the Sopranos is built around these ideas of toxic masculinity mm-hmm. that these characters are being forced to through their circumstances to exhibit, and yet when it comes down to it, the ideas that we have about masculinity like oh you should be able to survive like you shouldn't be you know thrown by these like horrible conditions they are almost instantly reduced to like little babies like they're so cold and they're so hungry it's like a Werner Herzog movie it is nature is pitiless and will destroy you no matter how tough you are it's true and one of the really good points that I read in the soprano sessions I'm going to be talking about that book a lot is that It also includes one of the things about Sopranos that is, I think, a little bit controversial, but I always really liked is that there is kind of a mystical element to it because this guy gets away after being shot and there's really no reason why. Like he just disappeared. Like it's almost like he is some sort of like like extra human being. Well, he's he's a former pro-military guy like uh well yes i mean he was part of the interior ministry even though his house looked like shit <laughs> he's a following hard times in america ex- one of my favorite exchanges ever is that whole little <laughs> back and forth where he's like oh yeah he's part of the interior ministry and christopher just goes his house looked like shit because he thought he was an interior decorator <laughs> and uh, uh it's it uh, one of my favorite boiling pots of tension throughout all of season three is Christopher becomes a May guy. Uh, but then he basically his friend, Paulie, who they've always been like kind of good cohorts is now his direct report boss. And they've developed a very rocky relationship with one another. And the tension, it finds a wonderful way to boil over. And that's why I think we rightfully included it in laser times bottle episode. Cause that's mm. what that was about. It was about those, the tension of the, of the previous few episodes spilling over this. Mm-hmm. they, they're freezing in the woods and they find an abandoned van uh, and that's where they take refuge. I love this clip. Oh, 
by your own window. I don't want to smell your piss. Fuck you. What did you say? You heard me. Don't make me pull a rank on you, kid. Fuck you, Paulie. Captain or no captain, right now we're just two assholes lost in the woods. Do yourself a favor, Chrissy, and go back to fucking sleep. Why, so you could choke me? What? Think I'm stupid. I heard you on the phone trying to blame this on me. What the fuck you talking about? You fucked up with the Russian prick, now you're worried about Tony. You wait till I'm asleep, then you'll choke me so he'll just have your version. Choke you right now, you fuck! <laughs> <laughs> it really also, like, brings to light, like, Christopher becoming a made man and now having to sort of answer to Polly more mm-hmm. kind of brings to light, like, what a shitty pyramid scheme the mob is. Like, I've been, <laughs> I've been really, like, reading a lot about um, mid-level marketing and and its effect on, like, women and, and all of that stuff. And, like, it's really bringing to light, like, oh, this is just a pyramid scheme for, yes. like, <laughs> gangsters, basically, in a way that, like, really is harmful to the people who are in it. I also really love like Christopher and Polly's relationship because before Christopher was a made man, he's kind of just, but he's also like obviously Tony's favorite. Mm -hmm. So he kind of has this like casual relationship with everyone in a way, like a familial relationship that, but then once it's formalized with him as a made man, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit less casual. No no excuses. In a way that he never did. You got to give me five G's five large every week. No excuses. And that's interesting to see that relationship change where he's both like coming up, but then also he's not lo- no longer really seen as like a favorite son anymore because now he's a real part of the cog. Yeah. Of the, he's a real cog in the machine, you know? I don't know. I just, I love their relationship so much. It's very interesting. This, this really very is complicated. worth a watch. And I think as one of you said earlier, you could watch it. I, I wouldn't recommend it, but like you could just, Pick this and watch it out of the blue, and you would yeah. understand most of what is going on. I, I do it all the time, and every time it's like, oh, yeah, Gloria. And that's over like immediately. I mm-hmm. forgot that character existed, and then you're in the woods. Yeah, but she's great. sort of reintroduced here because she's, mm-hmm. she like went to Turkey and then came back, and right. she gets a, a, a great reintroduction, you know, playing the song where she's wearing this like fur capelet and like a hat and like a scarf to it. It's like, oh my gosh. I love her so much. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I, I can't dispute. This is the best episode of the series. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I should have one. Be cool, but I don't because this rules, and I watch it more than I watch <laughs> the other fifty episodes. I really do. Uh, Sopranos, Pine Barrens. I think that's our most. All three of us could be like, yeah, big recommend this week. Watch that yeah. shit. I tell you what, we won't be recommending the one Dreamcast video game I saw that came out this week: Mars Matrix Hyper Solid Shooting. Um, that sounds like a game that was named out of a hat. It, yeah. <laughs> what does a, that mean? I don't know. I never played it or seen it. But we go way more in depth on our Patreon, patreon.com slash laser time, where in like 91 will even tell you what arcade games were out during the period. Um, it just shows pretty long already, right? Right. But if you want more video games, patreon.com slash laser time um, every month. That about wraps it up for t- 2001. Uh, we are closing out with Sorcerer by Stevie Nicks. But uh, stay right there. we got to talk about 2011, people.
is internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner, where we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of April 30th through May 6th, easy recommend. One of these movies I had heard about and, oh, it's so critically acclaimed and, oh, it's all these people you like and you're going to like it. And I was like, oh, this sounds like homework. And then I watched it and I was like, my God, this is so ahead of its time. What the fuck? Celebrating its 50th anniversary from 1971 is Mike Nichols's Carnal Knowledge, starring Jack Nicholson, Art Garfunkel, question mark, and Margaret Candace Bergen, Carol Kane, Rita Moreno show up for a little bit. I just barely started the new Mark Harris biography of Mike Nichols, but my God, what a fascinating person. And there's a lot of people who think this is his best movie. I mean, even better than The Graduate. I'm kind of inclined to agree because even though it is 50 years old, I feel like it could kind of be made today in that it's about men and their shitty relationships with sex and how they view women that's kind of the nicest way i can put it you know it starts like with like these college students and they're like obsessed with sex and they totally want to you know get with girls and then it's about as they age their relationships and how they keep making the same mistakes over and over and not treating women well and what kind of women they get with and uh yeah how their relationship with women and sex kind of like destroys them because it's so bad. That's my uh, killjoy feminist interpretation of it, but I'm sure there's lots and lots of others. It is fun in a historical sense in that a guy went to jail for showing it in uh, Georgia and that case went all the way to the Supreme Court and they held that like, no, this is not obscene material if it's just about sex in a broad sense, not in a pornographic sense. And they upheld the uh, Miller versus California ruling on obscenity which, not the best ruling, honestly, just because it's like porn- pornography, I know it when I see it. I don't know if that's a great thing. But it's good for all of us so we can have movies where people frankly talk about sex and relationships and uh, how they mess with people's brains and give them bad priorities and screw them up. And yeah, incredible recommend. I think you'll be kind of shocked that a movie that's 50 years old is this prescient about gender Carnal Knowledge, 1971, directed by Mike Nichols with Jack Nicholson. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Uh, coming in with Sarah, I mean, uh, <laughs> coming in with S&M by Rihanna featuring Britney Spears. It is number one this week. Welcome to 2011, everyone. April 30th through May 6th. We got some uh, new releases. The Hot Hot Sauce Committee Part 2 from the Beastie Boys, their final studio album because MCA was diagnosed with cancer while they were working on it. There is no Hot, hot Sauce Committee Part 1, I believe. Mm. Um, Helplessness Blues by Fleet Foxes and In Your Dreams by Stevie Nicks again. Ten years to yeah. the day. Look at that. I- and then a little bit of news to let you know what's happening in the world of two. Oh, the tiniest of news. A little, a little bit, bit of a blip. No uh, one really a, noticed. A little boy over in Asia, Osama bin Laden, is killed. He was 54. Yep. Mm. He was 54. <laughs> he he yeah. survived by a shitload of relatives. <laughs> oh, my God. Hundreds. Yeah, uh, we got him. It took 10 years and another president and um, entering foreign airspace and... Uh, a lot of CIA work, but yeah, we finally fucking caught Osama bin Laden uh, and shot him and took all his stuff, including his porn collection Ooh. and his cartoon collection. 
What? And uh, and then dumps him in the ocean. Yeah. Oh, now Boy, you that's have... what they want you to think. Now you have t- Chris's attention. His cartoon collection. Yeah, I want to know. Yeah. What, I want to know what cartoons that. Osama bin Laden watched. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, he had a whole bunch of kids in, in the compound, which is uh, part of how they figured out who he was. Which is okay. This is the dodgy part for me. I know, like a lot of people are pissed off because you know we had a military raid in Pakistan, who's supposed to be our ally, and we didn't tell him we were coming. Mm-hmm. That's kind of fucked up, but the more fucked up thing is we sent in, like, a fake vaccination squad to be like, we're here to vaccinate all the children's, and it was really to get DNA off them kids mm. so we could see if they were related to Osama bin Laden, and, like, that is that is one bridge too far for me. Don't make people mistrust healthcare workers who are trying to vaccinate kids. Well, did they actually vaccinate the children? I'm not entirely sure. Maybe. <laughs> in which case, like, that's okay, I guess, but no, don't Make that, like, don't politicize vaccinations in countries where they fucking need them. Like, we've almost wiped out polio. Don't make people mistrust who's giving you the vaccine just because Bill Gates put 5G chips in it. Love this surface, man. Love it. It (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely remember exactly where I was when I found out about this. I was watching watching the newsroom. No. (laughs) I was... I was here and I was asleep in the in Sam's bed and he woke me up in the middle of the night and was like, Hey, hey, uh, we killed Osama bin Laden. And I was I didn't even open my eyes. I was like, Where? He was like, in Pakistan. I was like, Are we at war with Pakistan now? And he was like, <laughs> No. I was like, Okay. And I just went back to sleep. <laughs> It was a really shocking news to be woken up with. <laughs> wow. I remember I was on my way because it was a Sunday night. I was on my way over to my friend Toby's place because every week we'd watch The Simpsons and then watch a bad movie. And it was on the radio because I was listening to NPR. And it was like, just as I left, they explained the news. And I was like, fuck. And I got to Toby's place and he's just this big grin on his face like, oh, W. Bush must feel like such a wuss. I was like, yeah, you like them apples, dub. Yeah. Yeah, there are a few things more badass than that picture of everyone in the like room watching it happen. It's pretty fucking well, that badass. Is a good picture. It was an unforgettable assassination. It really was. Um, but <laughs> what a one though, one to remember. That's for sure. April thirtieth through May sixth in movies. Oh boy, there's a bunch of movies to get through. All right, yeah, let's blow through a couple of these really fast because we have bigger it, things to talk about. Uh, something borrowed with Kate Hudson, Jennifer Goodwin, uh, John Krasinski, Colin Egglefield is uh, it's about like kind of like what we were talking about like friends who have crushes on each other and like oh but so-and-so is marrying so-and-so but then we just slept together what does that mean but i've always had a crush on you but you're marrying my friend and so we got like a love quadrangle and everyone didn't really care about it it's based on a uh, novel by emily giffen she has a whole series something borrowed something blue and it is the epitome of chick lit. I really like the books, but they are very chick lit books. Um, and I read the book and I'm pretty sure I saw this movie too. Um, the movie is not, not memorable to me, but the book is like absolutely chick lit, but lovely. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing. Yep. And then last night with Kira Knightley, Sam Worthington, Eva Mendez is more, uh, it's also about cheating, but it's also, it's more like a slice of life. Like these are, Two people in a relationship, they have an argument, they go their separate ways, and it's like about the ways that they are tempted by the fruit of another. Tempted and the truth is discovered. And it's supposed to feel like very naturalistic European type thing, which is like the the reviews were all over the place because some people just love that and some people just hate that. So, yeah. Yeah. 
And then jumping the broom with my god, a gigantic cast. Let's go with mm. Angela Bassett, Paula Patton, Les Alonso, Loretta Devine, Mike Epps. It, you know, it's a big uh, family coming together for a wedding, but oh, I don't know if that's the one I'm supposed to get married to. And they're, they like all live on Martha's Vineyard, so it's like well, real fancy. I watched this actually, and I okay. really loved it. Like it oh. is, I love a wedding movie first of all, and yeah, yeah. it is beautiful. Like everyone in it is really good, funny when they're supposed to be, not funny when they're not supposed to be. I mean, I love Angela Bassett so much. She's really mm. doing good work yeah. here. She's just fantastic. And yeah, this is like a really lovely little movie about, um, it's about class. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the the groom in this movie is like from a working class family. The bride mm-hmm. is from a very rich family who has this house on Martha's Vineyard. And, you know, about these two families coming together, it's ba- jumping the broom is a tradition in African-American families as a part of a wedding tradition tradition where you know after instead of stomping the glass you jump over a broom to signify like hey the wedding and Mm -hmm. um i really really enjoyed this movie quite a bit it i felt like noting that it is um many times the movies that are seen by mainstream america and especially by white people that the movies about black people so often deal solely with black people's pain and Mm. which is you know, very intense and very important. But the movies that are not seen by mainstream America and by many white Americans are movies that celebrate black people's joy and their and their everyday lives and things and and you know like weddings and and all this stuff. That seems to be like really only viewed by other black like black audiences. And I think mm-hmm. that I wish it was more of a thing that like more white people would just watch and open them. It's I mean, yeah. this is basically like Father of the Bride, like any other movie that you'd watch about a wedding. Yeah. And it was so wonderful and joyful to watch like a movie that is a full black cast, you know, and but about the joy of and the, the problems that come along with marrying into a family and, and that you don't know and it did not have to have the elements of black pain, black people's pain mm-hmm. and suffering that we see like all the time and like 12 years a slave and you know like so many <laughs> right. of these important really good movies but we need to have more movies that also just celebrate like the everyday joy of like life yeah. you know that feature all black good, pa- casts yeah that's a good point and like I, I didn't get around to it in every review it was like the performances are good it's kind of cliched you know what you're getting but it's like but that's true if it starred white people so mm-hmm. we shouldn't look at this as the black wedding movie you should look at it as mm-hmm. a wedding movie Absolutely. And yeah. Not, and not see it on those merits. Point. Yeah. And if you're not into a wedding movie, then don't watch it. Got it. Right. But and especially because it deals with issues of class and issues of marrying into a family you don't really know and and dealing with their traditions and the way that they live and how do you meld those two things together? It is these are universal themes. So like yeah. it should not be relegated into like well this is a black movie. This is just a fun wedding movie and i love wedding movies so i i say this is a recommend for me Mm. okay cool i know you watched the next movie and i did too uh i'm not going to recommend it (laughs) and it's not because of the big obvious reason okay but it's definitely not a universal thing like jumping the broom is because Mm -hmm. i don't know anyone who's gone insane and started speaking with a cockney accented puppet yeah so the beaver (laughs) (laughs) What a weird movie, but honestly, so I weirdly just, I'm like very behind on my WTFs and I just listened to the WTF with 
Jodie Foster. Mm -hmm. And she talks about her relationship with Mel Gibson. They're the two main stars of this movie, along with Anton Yelchin and Jennifer Lawrence. And it's directed by Jodie Foster. Mm -hmm. I think she does a really good job with this. And um, Mark asks, Mark Maron asks her about her relationship with Mel Gibson. And I thought it was a really great answer. Like, I, I absolutely recommend this interview with her because you know, she's had such an insane career and she really goes into like so many, so much cool stuff that she's just like done and been through. And like, I, I know I know, thought she, I found it bizarre that Mel Gibson at this period was kind of persona non grata after, right. a, oh, yeah. was this the sexist rant or the, the anti-Semitic rant? I can't remember. Uh, uh, this was the, you should be art by mm-hmm. words. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, that was it. That was a year ago. And yeah. He's and the been person, the person to bring him back was toxic. Jodie Foster. And yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. He asks, he presses her on that. Like Mark presses her on that, like her relationship with him. And I thought her answer was very interesting, very enlightening. Like, you know, she basically said that she loves Mel Gibson, that they are very good friends. And that, no, like she, she kind of talks about like if her kid committed a horrible crime, of course, like her child would I have to go to my prison movie. and everything, but she would still love them. She would still visit them in prison and, you know, still support them. And that's kind of how she compared her relationship with Mel Gibson. And I just thought it was really interesting mm-hmm. that she has really like, I don't know. I never really understood that the situation, their relationship, like why it's, why it's, it's because like, Maverick was so good. Well, that's <laughs> true. So that's good. true. But yeah, Maverick is it's fun. Um, I yeah, loved so this movie. Be, really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, there is a lot to like. I was mm-hmm. hesitant because yeah, it's about Mel Gibson is a you know middle class dad who uh, is just so chronically depressed, and then he finds a beaver puppet in the trash, and the beaver puppet starts talking to him in a Cockney accent, mm-hmm. and he turns his life around by mm-hmm. speaking through this puppet only through the puppet um only through the puppet it was for me in a lot of ways it was sort of like a simplified dumbed down american beauty oh wow it's about middle (laughs) middle class dude on we and and them losing it and the way that they lose it fixes some of the problems but creates new ones uh Mm. i thought the directing was good i thought jodie foster in particular is really good as someone who's like i'm gonna try this but i am really not sure and yeah, and then off kind of almost in a totally other movie is Anton Yelchin and Jennifer Lawrence having a, a subplot, which, oh, uh, Anton Yelchin makes me so sad every time I see him because, like, I know. we, it's like, okay, Chadwick Boseman, we got a taste of what he could do and we just want more. Anton Yelchin, we like barely got to see yeah. what he could mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. God damn. And it's like everything I see is like, oh, there's so much potential there. And then he's gone. Wow. I took a very different take on this movie. Like, so to me, this movie was a really great exploration of the type of chronic debilitating depression that is treated the way it should be treated, which is like, this is just as bad as like having cancer or something like that. Like this person is completely debilitated by a chemical like chronic depression imbalance and Mm -hmm. watching it. I mean, as someone who has struggled with that a lot in the past and has taken me, I've done a lot of things to not feel that way and has, and I've had terrible episodes and it was almost a little triggering for me, honestly. And I do kind of want to put a big trigger warning on this movie, the beaver, because the depiction of depression is so accurate that it, 
Yeah. It made me a little bit worried watching it, honestly. And and there are and there's depictions of att- attempted suicide too. So I just want to put that trigger warning out there for anyone who's sensitive to that. Um, and for me, it was so it was such an interesting exploration of this person who has been completely debilitated by this illness and has tried everything. I mean, in the opening, they talk yeah. about he's tried every drug. He's tried everything you could possibly think of therapy. He he literally was at the end of his rope, quite literally, like mm. in the most literal sense of it with his attempt at succumbing to suicide. And this was like a kind of a last ditch thing where his brain, he found this puppet and his brain just kind of took over into survival mode and was like, this is the only thing that's going to keep you alive right now. And he yeah. had to do it. He had to go with it. And I know that being in certain episodes like that with with having debilitating depression where you cannot get out of bed, where you, you cannot function, like thinking like nothing's working. Like I, I, this is, this is a illness. This is an actual illness that I, I think I could, could be the end of me. And the depiction of that, I think is they did such a good job with it. It's, it's so realistic mm-hmm. to the point of almost triggering. And so I, I absolutely <laughs> loved it. And I loved that there was a journey there because he does go through like a whole journey of like getting back into the, he, he's able to work through his feelings with the puppet, but then it gets to a point where it doesn't work anymore. Which is so right. true for so many people who've had to turn to medication. I mean, that is always a fear when mm-hmm. you take medication for for depression. Like, at some point, is it going to stop working? Am I going yeah. to have to go back to what I'm doing? Am I going to have to figure out something else? And and that they kind of go through the journey with this. And it's taken to an extreme because I think it's supposed to be, you know, a metaphor in a lot of ways. And, and, and yeah. You know, kind of almost like a fable, sort of. But yeah, I was thinking that too. In some ways, it's like a a fable about depression. Mm-hmm. And I will say, okay, yeah, the depiction of depression is very good. And Mel Gibson is very restrained. He's not yes. in rigs here. Yes, like, absolutely. You, you see, this is a guy who's been suffering for a long time. Uh, just, I don't. Yeah, I mean, some of it is, I guess, your mileage may vary just i can't end up recommending it but it was a lot better than i was expecting because i think they some of it they sold it as like this is a wacky comedy right Mm -hmm. and that kind of blew me away because i was expecting something really is not not at all and i think there's strength there of not making the puppet a goofy thing like you know like basically a ventriloquist dummy which is not which is kind of what i was expecting it was going to be their strength there i think is like really important and I also think, too, like the whole storyline with Anton Yelchin, his son, and then also his younger son, who is like a, a elementary school kid, also really shows like the inherited trauma of being in a house with a parent who is suffering from an illness like this and like mm. how that does affect your everyday life. And a big part of um, his son's experiences are am I going to be like my dad? Like, is this going to be my legacy? Do I have to contend with this as I get older? And, and the, the trauma that comes along with that of seeing your parent like that, and then hoping, praying that that's not going to be your future, but having no idea. I mean, that's just the insidious nature of, of depression. I think this is a fantastic movie. I think it's a really great, interesting exploration of, of depression that we had not seen before. And it treats it in a way that is, it doesn't talk down to the audience at all. I mean, it's for real. Mm. And I was blown away by Mel Gibson. I mean, the way that it, <laughs> it, it shows on his face, like, yeah, 
it's wild that you see him at the beginning where he's in like the depths of the depression and like the way it shows on his face is crazy. And then once he starts to feel better and he's like, you know, kind of getting back onto his game, his it's like his the physical part of his face changes. It's like he stops having as many wrinkles. It's crazy the way that, <laughs> you know, it changes. And then when he starts to slide back down again, it goes back. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. I was blown away by this movie. I was very impressed by it. And I also felt it was very, very triggering in a lot of ways too. So mm. be aware of that if that's yep. something that you struggle with. I could talk yeah. about this movie for a very long time. Mm. <laughs> Obviously. Okay. Um, well, I like that our next movie is basically something to help you recover from <laughs> watching 100%, something like the Deep A hundred percent. It is Warm Hug the Movie. It truly is. I love it so much. Uh, what we, you want me to say it? <laughs> Go for it. Got uh, Deb Patel, Tom Wilkinson, Maggie Smith, Bill, Bill Nye, and Judy Dench in the best exotic Marigold Hotel. Is this your first time in India? Yes. Do you think we'll be all right? It's going to be extraordinary. This summer, go someplace exotic. Welcome to the best exotic Marigold Hotel. With Judy Dench, Bill Nighy, Tom Wilkinson, Penelope Wilton, and Maggie Smith. India is about what you bring to it. I'm really loving this! a glass of water. That was a gin and tonic. Mm. I know that now. The best exotic Marigold Hotel. It's tremendously exciting. How are all these people still alive? My word. Oh, thank uh, goodness they are. Wow. Yeah, it's 10 years. I don't think knock on wood. We haven't lost anybody. Yeah, best exotic Marigold Hotel. I was, I mean, because I know this is a crowd pleaser. It was a, a surprise hit considering it stars all old British people and Dev, Dev Patel. And I was a little worried that it would be like they would lean on that word exotic because it's about these British retirees who move to India because it's cheaper to live there. And, oh, it's something new. It's something different instead of like sitting around in a retirement home or your apartment the rest of your life. And I thought it would portray India as being like super goofy. Look at all these crazy things that they do. And oh, so glad. No, <laughs> it treats it treats India kind of how I imagine India, which is somewhere I've always wanted to be, which is like, mm -hmm. it's chaotic, but that's its own kind of great. Like New York City is chaotic. And some of the folks, they go for it. And some of the folks, they don't, uh, including even Maggie Smith, who starts out as a wicked ass racist, eventually comes to like start appreciating things. And it's fun to have her as a lower class person instead of an upper class person for once too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you see like, yeah, Maggie Smith has range. She's not just like, Super uptight, you know, dowager. Lady Grantham. <laughs> Lady, Lady Grantham, you know, or, or even McGonagall. It's like, yeah, she's got so much range. And it's just charming. It's this charming thing that British charming movies do. It's so charming. Yeah, I absolutely I love it. India. Yeah, it's so much fun. It's mm, all yeah. your favorite people, like, just having a great time and being warm and, and enjoying India. And, and it's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. Just having Can't an adventure. Just rolling with it. Yeah. Well, Dev Patel is like inherited this hotel and he's like, and he's figured out a great business model mm -hmm. because there's a lot of British people that like go overseas to live somewhere cheaper, especially like Costa del Sol in Spain. And some of them are realizing now with Brexit, like, oh shit, our visas are kind of fucked. <laughs> They're like, I think we colonized this at one point when I was a child. Let me go over there. And <laughs> yeah, I was, I was really worried that it would just be about like, oh, let's relive the Raj. Isn't this wonderful yes. to be peppered yeah. by a bunch of Indians? <laughs> let's go to India. And it's like, no, it totally, it totally isn't. It's charming. You should watch it with your parents. Absolutely. <laughs> what about the sequel? Is it a mummy return situation? I don't 
know. I, I haven't know watched it. I saw it. Yeah. No. It, I mean, it wasn't as like this this one, but um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'll give it a shot just because this was this was just it was like taking a warm bath. It was just yeah. so relaxing. I saw you know, this. I, everything's I took, low stakes. All the actors are wonderful. It's great. I saw this in the theater. I took myself to go see it as a solo bolo date. And it's kind of the perfect movie for that to just like summertime, sit in the theater in a cold theater, drink some wine and watch like a very comforting movie where you're not going to be sad. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I really think this came out as counter programming. Yes. yes. To our next movie. Yeah, because uh, this is like something for olds and maybe women, <laughs> and then the next one is like, let's go crazy with the action. Some, uh, yeah, yeah. If you were drinking at a Seven Eleven cups this week, you couldn't miss Cat Dennings, Idris Elba, Renee Russo again, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Stellan Starsgard, Tom Hiddleston, uh, Natalie Portman, and Chris Hemsworth in number one at the box office. Baby, it's Thur. Thur. Where did he come from? Your ancestors called it magic, and you call it science. I come from a place where they're one and the same. But who are you, really? You have disobeyed your king. I now take your power! Destroy everything. These people are innocent. And die with them. I will end this. The word. Rated PG-13. Thor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 20-something years in the making, they kicked around making a Thor movie. and I mean, it just seemed like such a bad idea. As someone who, who likes comics idea. and loves <laughs> Thor, and but also like has a lot of Thor he can't stand to read, uh, hmm. I, I, I was convinced this was the end of the ride. The Marvel's yeah. fourth movie, Mar- the MCU's fourth film. And right. uh, I believe, yeah, no one showed up in the end credits to Iron Man. It was just Mjolnir. It's just the hammer. Yeah, yeah. So we haven't <laughs> haven't seen anybody yet, and I couldn't believe. I remember I watched it today, and I just remember being stunned in the theater. I'm like, it's the Rainbow Bridge. They're really fucking doing this. I cannot believe. I cannot believe they're betting this hard on Thor. I still can't. Uh, yeah. I think you know one of the reasons people might actually like Ragnarok, in addition to the tone, uh, is it kind of undoes what I thought was going to bring down Thor, which was the. Uh, pomposity wow gods uh of, mm. of everything but it turns out like they got kenneth brana in to direct all these australian and english actors doing their most shakespearean shit ever and it, it it's nowhere yeah. near my favorite mcu movie and it's pretty close to the bottom but it still works it, it's it's impressive it's the easiest to fuck up yeah, yeah. and i think making it as part of the mcu instead of separately was definitely the right way to go mm-hmm. to do this knowing we are going to put him with Iron Man in a year, almost exactly a year. We get the Avengers, even even though there's and, like this has like the fewest winks and nods, and like no, yeah, nobody from the Marvel Universe to come over and say hello until the end credits. But yeah. so, it, oh, Agent Coulson's there, it, Agent Coulson's. it's true. Agent mm-hmm. Coulson yeah. is still there. I just but I thought it was admirable I, and a fake Infinity Gauntlet, <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> But I so I was thinking about this and like reading up on the previous versions of Thor that they kicked around, you know, for movies and all that and realized, you know, it's not just the OK, put him in the MCU so we can build towards a team up. It's the last minute of Iron Man is like needs to be underlined. And and that's the theme for the Marvel movies. No alter egos mm. and i think getting rid of the alter ego that like he's actually a doctor named donald somebody and and natalie portman is like a nurse that likes him and like no 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 he's thor and that's it 
Oh, he doesn't I, need an alter ego, and in some ways, I was surprised this is an you, you knew Thor's, al- Thor's al- alter ego. <laughs> well, okay, I, I looked it up, um, <laughs> and because I remember people pointing out that like she gives him a sweater that's got a name tag on it, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Oh, that's my ex-boyfriend's," and that's the the alter ego name. Yeah, it's like it, look, it the whole point goes. of Iron Man by the end of the first Iron Man, I am Iron alter Man. ego. Everyone knows who he is. <laughs> Hulk, he kind of has an alter ego that is unintentional and as those movies progresses he becomes more and more the hulk mm-hmm. all the time that's just sort of it everyone just no you don't need an alter ego that stuff is boring and dumb and everyone can poke holes in it like oh clark Kent puts on glasses and everyone's a moron around him mm-hmm. like no don't bother with the hiding it just make it he's regular old thor he comes to earth we get fish out of water comedy and he grows as a person and he learns some you know humility there we're done and, and I, give give I, I Natalie feel... Portman a job upgrade, so she's not just like a cute nurse. She's a freaking physicist I, who's I did, an expert I in dimensional travel, and now she has things she wants to talk to him about. I perfect. I was hit again the same way I was ten years ago. That like oh, the, Marvel has really been careful about objectification, and the first time it happens, it's with Chris Hemsworth. This like shot of his abs oh and his v and like all right you can move the camera now and they don't it just it just lingers whereas everybody every other every other woman in the movie is dressed like up to their fucking wrists yeah like, they the got their, their khaki jackets <laughs> on with multiple pockets yeah yep it's nice it's a truly bizarre film i think worth checking out again because there's you know there's nothing terrible about it what i did like about it is uh, uh the establishment of loki because he's like yeah. i think whedon you know not to <laughs> Not to get on the weed and hay train, but like he really buffooned him up in the in Avengers, which I've seen over and over again. And like, no, Loki's a much more menacing character in this movie, and mm-hmm. and looks yeah. like it's it's a little more fun for Tom Hiddleston to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was surprised to find out he was up for the role of Thor. Yeah, so was and Liam like, Hensworth. <laughs> so was Liam Hensworth. Like, oh, geez, you guys carpooled at that one, <laughs> and. Yeah, and think, no, Tom Hiddleston is so good as Loki because mm-hmm. it looks like he's having fun. Mm-hmm. Because being bad is fun. It's like, good call. He was, he's a good find, honestly. And so is Chris Hemsworth. I mean, besides just like that ridiculous pod, it's like, hey, he's a pretty good actor. And he, he has to sell some things that are really kind of dumb because he is just a big himbo <laughs> for most of the movie. I was going to say, I can't imagine Tom Hiddleston as a himbo. Like I'm trying to, because that's kind of Thor's no. thing, is that he's the himbo. It's so funny too because this weekend Sam and I uh, were traveling and we were in a hotel and doing my favorite thing in a hotel to do, which is watch random things on television. And <laughs> we found like a TV channel, I think it was TNT maybe that was playing like Endgame mm-hmm. and the movie before Endgame, Infinity War. Infinity War. Infinity War. Sarah. God. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it was so funny to see like Fat Thor, you know, from yeah. like where he's like all sad and depressed. And he's I, got, I think like, that's the, that's, that's the, the thing. fake pot belly, which is absolutely a CGI. I was like looking at it. <laughs> I was like that. That's that. Tum Tum is CGI. Like, it's too smooth. <laughs> and so I was like, maybe it's a prosthetic. I was like, no, it's 100% a CGI'd fat Tum Tum on Thor. That's so weird. Is it really? To, like, I, yes, I yes. I think that's that's one of those things that Chris, Hem- Chris Hemsworth's involvement is teetering on the idea that, like, he has to get an absurd shape to play this character mm-hmm. who arguably doesn't 
really need to anymore. And like, I think that's how they kept kept him on board by like, you can be fat Thor. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> you and no, your... I mean, he might have let himself a little bit go, but they definitely like put some green dots on his stomach to make to give him like the pouch. Did it jiggle? But anyways, it was it was yeah. fun to watch that and then come back and watch that, which I watched Thor today for the first time, like this Thor oh. for the first time well, today. Because I. Mm-hmm. I didn't get into the whole MCU like thing until I think the Avengers, honestly. Well, that, well I mean, oh. that, that's, that's the, it's an unfair slight against the movie in that like every, every Marvel movie since Thor, I would say since Thor has moved the MCU forward on a grander scale and this mm-hmm. doesn't. Mm. And that's that it, it, you can call Captain Marvel a self-contained movie, but we like, we get scrolls and right. like, it's, it's a massive Wait. Why would you say this doesn't move it forward? Doesn't move it forward it, because it's like all no, self-contained. There's, there's no Infinity Stones. There's no okay. new threats except for Loki setting him up. That's what I was uh, going to say. Yeah. I, was, I actually had to look it up. Like, wait, that thing that they have that they steal from the Ice Giants, that's that's not an Infinity Stone, right? Is that, no, the first Infinity Stone is teased at the end of this movie. Right, which will be in the two two months from the Captain America when Captain America couple comes mo- Yeah, a couple months till Captain America. And that starts with the... Yeah, superpower type. Remember, stiff. we got two Marvel movies every year instead of zero. <sighs> well, so but the Cat Dennings in this isn't that movie nuts? Is the same, isn't that nuts? same character from yes Wanda. Okay, I, 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 I believe yeah. she's she's in Dark World, but like that I've seen even less. But yeah. it, it was nice to and, see. Yeah, like if you've just watched WandaVision, like oh shit, this is yeah. where that character character's roots are. That, Ten years earlier, that was cool. And I love Cat Dennings so much, so I always like to see her working. Does Nellie Portman ever come back? Uh, her picture does, and it sounded right. like in uh, in the second movie, but no, no, only in, she's yeah. coming in the next one. Yeah, allegedly, uh, she's yeah, no, she she's was... no, she was there at Comic Con, and she picked up Yum and everyone lost their shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the fourth Thor movie, she's supposed to be back. Yeah, yeah, because okay. in 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 the comics, I think right now Thor is her, is Jane. That that oh. is the Thor. That's nice. more important comic. And good. I will say, yeah, this was it's been fun to rewatch most of these MCU movies I've only seen the one time in the theater. So it has been fun to go back ten years later after seeing twenty more and seeing where they're going with this and see all this stuff set up. But it was also weird watching Anthony Hopkins in this this week. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. I also felt that way. Two time like, Oscar winner. Okay, get you a man who can do both, right? Especially if you've if you've, if you've only seen Ragnarok recently where he literally shows up to like I'm dying now. Like he shows up to die. (laughs) And like, this is, this is like, oh yeah, I forgot this dude can, he's pretty good at acting. Honestly (laughs) too. Like after having watched the movies that I like end game and infinity war watching that this weekend, even now, like watching Thor today and seeing that they have the same little eye patch that doesn't connect to anything. I was like, uh, that okay. was that is something I had written down in my like in my notes. I, I think they do this for utilitarian purposes, but like all the outfits you've seen in the last few movies are all CG. I think it's mm. mostly so they can figure out what they're wearing. They can just shoot, and they don't have to design anything right now. We can do it later. Mm. And this is this was like oh now I sort of see why everybody is covered <laughs> in plastic and it, it looks ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, it looks really hard to move. Mm-hmm. Well, and I do think, I mean, I guess maybe it's because of the nature of like where it's supposed to be. A lot of Thor's supposed to be taking place. It also did feel like a video game. In yeah, a lot of ways. The, the, like, the green screening, you can see yeah. how much better that has gotten. And I was it's crazy. Yeah. I was curious because yeah. 
Disney has most of the stuff in 4K, and I noticed they didn't have it for this. And like, I wonder if there's a reason for that. If this looks mm. super shitty upscaled because mm-hmm. it is the most green screeny movie they've done thus far. Uh, even yeah. like mm-hmm. Avengers mm-hmm. is shockingly mostly green screen, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but it doesn't it, look like it as much. Yeah, but I, I think I feel like this is sort of what Kevin Feige and his crew in their infancy with that technology when it comes to like interiors shot as exteriors there's so much haloing i feel like chris hemsworth's faith is cg'd the whole time for some reason though he looks very like his odd. eyebrows are cg yeah like, he does he yeah. looks weird like in the face he looks very is his hair looks very strange it does not look real right down to the eyebrows like it just doesn't look real and I just, yeah and, i don't know what's going what on I, there but they they fixed it later i tell you what i miss i miss the casting of unknowns because uh, mm-hmm. I think Joss Whedon, he like uh, had just written Cabin in the Woods, starring Chris Hemsworth, and like he had to sort of push like this guy you've never heard of would be a great Thor, and, and a guy from an Australian soap, because every yeah. Australian is required to be on Home and Away or Neighbors. Yes, and 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 the two unknowns are great, and then the person I knew the most in this movie is Idris Elba, and I just wish I could shake everyone by the don't waste him here. What is wrong okay. with you? <laughs> so that was going to be my next question about the MCU like I'm trying to remember does Idris Elba come back uh yeah one? he's in the third movie for like okay. 10 yeah. hot seconds he's in the rest of the he's third also movies. in Ghost Rider not the MCU does Stellan Sarsgaard Sarsgaard yeah in Avengers okay yeah. mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember because two of my favorite people Idris Elba and Stellan Sarsgaard it's, love them it's though, difficult so much. to wrap your head like, around and, and i that's one of those other little things that that is actually that's nice and clever yes let's get a scandinavian actor in here mm-hmm. who can help explain things to the audience a little bit about like you know i grew up with these these are fucking fairy tales yes. like i'm familiar with this what a good idea i didn't even think like about that. yes good idea everybody yeah, all in all, I had a way better time with it than I was expecting. I thought I thought it would be a slog, but it it wasn't. And it's and, and you know, with no Marvel movies to watch elsewhere, why not go back? I've past? had this like little itch actually to go back and like rewatch all the MCU movies, like order that they came out, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this kind of has gotten me back into that. Like I probably will start getting back into watching them again from the beginning now that I have like a better. I don't know understanding of everything like i just my interest in the mcu has only grown over the years of like being mm-hmm. part of the show and then like you know talking to you guys about it so uh, but don't blame It'll... us you have a stepson oh, too. it's a hundred percent your fault <laughs> and also but like going back and being like oh okay now i know the context of why i should care about these people instead of this just being like a spectacle like popcorn movie uh, that i just watch in the theaters you know gotcha. plus i kind of want to watch captain not captain america but the winter shoulder yeah, Falcon show that's yeah. come out. Oh, yeah, that it's was pretty cool. A, it's a very long movie. It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a long movie. Too much. Sounds good. Uh, I loved Wandavision, good. so you know. I didn't not? like it as much as Wandavision, but this is not the show for that. Wait, for, ten sorry, years for sorry. my review and uh, 2011 in TV, April 30th through May 6th. Ooh, All right, double yeah. shot of Law and Let's Order. Let's run through a couple. Yeah, uh, I love to pull the especially fun guests for Law and Order shows, as we got two Law and Order criminal intent respeto. Uh, co-stars Jay Moore as a hedonistic fashion designer who may have killed a sex worker. Okay. And then an even better one, a truly wonderful episode of Law and Order SVU. And wonderful always has an asterisk when you're talking SVU. Bang, which has John Stamos as a guy who likes intentionally getting women pregnant. That's his kink. Wow. That's a whole kink for sure. Yeah. Like their pregnancy play is a real thing. But 100%. he tricks women what? into it. Like he, yeah, that's he not cool. like 
pokes holes in condoms and stuff. How many? Yeah. So how many that's games a form of you... sexual assault. That's why he's on this show. How many games 100%. can you play of that before you have to retire? That's 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 ridiculous. For men, never. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm just thinking. Of, oh god, just thinking of the money. But it's pretty hilarious, especially it being John Stamos, someone who's just like so handsome. Yes, and it would like, be very dangerous in to... that scenario. <laughs> exactly, you don't need to coerce anyone. It's like that's what makes it scary. Oh, and I just watched uh, my girl while I work is upstairs binging Community as we speak. And I just last night I saw Community season two, the finale part one, A Fistful of Paintballs. A <sighs> wonderful sequel okay. to the, the there's nothing's going to surpass how the breath of fresh air that was the paintball episode from the previous year. But the, the episode constantly makes it makes you aware of that is very self-aware of that and is making fun of itself for even attempting to do that. And as a two parter, I believe they were supposed to air on the same night. That plan changed. Um, and this one has a Western theme. And I always forget how much I'm more floored by the end of it, like that they were all there to kick one of the the members out of the group it's like it's like semi-serious for for a community episode and yep. uh with with repercussions that will come i i just watched this i laughed my ass off and i was trying to find a line on youtube i couldn't find one that i was looking for so i settled for the one of um ben shang ken jong uh who is constantly spending the whole episode if you've never seen a community paintball episode they're treated very seriously tonally I believe they said they shot 17-hour days. This is directed by Joe Russo, uh, co-director of Avengers Endgame. <laughs> so yeah. it's a show about a, people in a community college, but that is, it's just literal Armageddon before your eyes on these little sets. It's wonderful. <laughs> but uh, Ben Chang, who is constantly selling everyone out to change allegiances to live another day and hopefully win that $100,000, this line always makes me laugh. <laughs> He's cowering behind a table. Hold on. I have a plan. Math club! Yeah? I'm Asian. You guys Asian? It's pretty racist, man. That wasn't a no. I'm coming over. Don't shoot me. Shoot him. He's white and he's out of ammo. <laughs> shoot him. He's white and he's out of ammo. God, Chang is so growing on me on this rewatch. Anyway, also the same night, Parks and Rec Eagleton, guest starring Parker Posey. Yes. Oh, uh, God, such a great this. episode when we, like, I think... Previously in Parks and Rec, they've talked about Eagleton and mm -hmm. Pawnee's like rivalry with this like neighboring town that's supposedly like so fancy Boy, and so much better than them. But we really get to see it in this episode. And Parker Posey guest stars as basically Leslie Nope's counterpart in the city of Eagleton. And we find out there's a backstory there where they used to be best friends. And then Parker Posey moved over to Eagleton and there was a rift there. And it's such a great episode. It really sets up. The idea of Eagleton, which will come back in later seasons, is like an even mm -hmm. bigger thing. And I love Parker Posey. Every time she shows up in anything, she's one of my favorite people to see on screen because she kind of elevates everything she does. And she apparently wanted to be on Parks and Rec so bad. She was such a huge fan of the show <laughs> that she was kind of mad that it took this long for her to get asked to be a guest star on the show. She's just fantastic. I absolutely love this episode. And I also want to use this opportunity to recommend the television series High Fidelity, which is on Hulu because her episode on High Fidelity, the television huh. series, is also absolutely fantastic. I haven't seen so. it. Huh. Huh. It's so I, good. I love the show. I just haven't seen her for and then on the second, we got How I Met Your Mother, the perfect cocktail. I love this episode because the setup is that Jason Siegel's character and Neil Patrick Harris is, are fighting. And the friend group is trying to figure out a way to get them to make up. And they decide that the best way to do that is to 
get them drunk so that they can like come back together as friends again. But they're trying to figure out the perfect drink that they can drink in order to put themselves in that headspace. And I just love this exploration because A, How I Met Your Mother is like one of the few shows that I think actually treats the adults on the show as people who drink and get drunk sometimes Mm. and, you know, have a good time. Like, actual adults in New York City who go to bars and sometimes drink too much and and that's part of the storyline. And I love the idea of like different types of alcohol give you a different type of drunk. So here are the girls kind of discussing like how the different alcohol affects the different guys and the the first two little descriptions are so perfect. So I pulled a little bit clip. We should go with something mellow. Maybe red wine? Oh, I don't know. Red wine has kind of an odd effect on Barney. He reaches a point of sad clarity. Ten, nine, eight. I'm a B plus. My whole life I was hoping to be an A, and I'm a B plus. And I'm okay with that. If we want them to open up, I say we go straight up gym. Ooh, last time Marshall got gin drunk was at that douchey bar Barney likes to go to. Marshall almost got in a fight that night. Look at this meatball. He's headed right towards me, showing me no respect. Well, if he wants to play chicken, this rooster ain't backing down. Oh, mirror. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the idea of different drinks giving you different drugs. I mean, do you guys... I'm so Have bored of drinking, but that? I gotta I gotta switch it up. Oh yeah, I gotta get some yeah. tequila yep. action going, and I haven't even thought to get drunk on gin in like eleven years. Let's <laughs> you should try it. I should try it. Yeah. And then uh, mm-hmm. lastly, one of my favorite shows. Uh, I wish more adults cared about. But Amen. Uh, the Amazing World of Gunball. Diana, you're a fan. I am a huge fan so of Amazing World of Gunball. It helps that it's just what is on all weekend on Cartoon Network. So it's really hard to miss. But I had a ton of people tell me I would love this show when it came out in like 2011, 2012. And I looked at it and I was kind of put off because I thought there was some sort of mythology that I didn't understand. No. <laughs> because it's... I mean, it's about, you know, as cat and his parents who are a bunny and a cat and his adopted brother who's a fish. And it's a lot it's a lot like The Simpsons in that it has a really large universe of people in this town. And I thought there was some sort of explanation why one is an ice cream cone and one is a banana and another's a cactus or a ghost or a balloon. (laughs) And And it turns out, no, no. Oh, oh, the CGI dinosaur girl who goes to school. That's one of my favorite things about it is that it's not only different looking characters. They're they're different. No explanation. Characters uh, characters are different forms of animation. Some characters are different frame rates. It looks like they just put whatever they wanted on screen, but it's like deliciously irreverent. And like if you don't watch it, I hope your kids do, and they will be funnier, smarter people. For the better. And yeah. if you get high oh, in the middle of the day on a weekend, you owe yourself. Flip it over to Cartoon Network. Watch some gumball. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's live action. There's computer generated. There's stop motion. There's, and then everything, all the backgrounds are photos. Yes. And. Photorealistic. Uh, yeah. And, and the, just like, the style of comedy is so wacky. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like, and, and there's so many jokes that just go over kids' heads. Yeah. It's like this whole parody thing. It, no kid's going to get this. It's like, yeah, no kid's going to get that this is Invasion of the Body Snatchers or yeah, there's all kinds of jokes about, I mean, there's a whole episode about how you can't trust cops. That was pretty cool. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, their cop, is, the the cop is a giant donut, and mm-hmm. he is violent and crazy. I wonder if they would have gotten the first episode is the DVD, and it's all about Darwin and Gumball trying to return a DVD to the video rental store. Again, this is ten years ago. Maybe it made sense to kids back then, but uh, but. The, the show yeah, is the show I, is wonderful, and it's it's every episode is ten minutes, and it does one of my favorite things in the world. It casts little kids in the lead roles. So I love hearing them scream at one another. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> sometimes so like there's some things they do that are kind of scary. That like I don't, yeah. I can't see a five year old watching this. Like when they make scary faces, and it's like the whole animation style changes. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like I, they actually look kind of. I watch it now. all the time. I'm like, how. How do kids understand all this? How do they think this is funny? But then, you know, every once in a while I'll meet a kid and like, yeah, they, they get it. They can look up anything online and, and do. Or usually watching with a phone in their hand and are way savvier than I give them credit for. But uh, but, yeah, it, I, but I'm recommending uh, this to if, adults because like you may not know yes. this show exists. Maybe it looks too weird or cutesy. I'm telling you, if you get stoned, you're going to love it. Amazing yeah, the, the, the kind of comedy on there is is very much... Very Looney Tunes. It's a very Looney yeah. Tunes style. What do you got? To, what do you got to lose? Give it ten minutes, and uh, it's yeah. very. It's one of the yeah, fastest in terms of its comedy. It's one of the fastest shows I've ever seen. Let's move into games real quick before we close it out. But uh, stay tuned. We'll tell you who lived and died during this period. Mountain Blade with Fire and Sword is out uh, the third April thirtieth through May sixth, twenty eleven. As is Motorstorm Apocalypse, which is a follow up to Sony's Motorstorm and Thor: God of Thunder Sega game. I think it was written by Matt Fraction featuring, and because, you know, our leads are not as famous as Robert Downey Jr. Um, and Ed Norton, their voices are in the game. So you can play a little bit of the backstory to the game. I recommend the, the DS one, which is by Way Forward, a very great uh, 2D game of Thur. And yeah, we'll talk more about those on patreon.com slash laser time, where the Video Game Apocalypse Boys, their shows, our, that shows out every Friday. We're talking about our favorite uh, Mortal Kombat guest characters this week um, in honor of the new movie, which I'm sure we'll also talk about. We talk about every game that comes out in a month of 30, 2010. Uh, this, our most recent one with a special guest, Chris Baker, and that's always a delight because he was working in magazines and a bunch of other game companies. So we can cover a lot of bases with knowledge, stuff you might not have heard before. Diana, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenAnerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. Coming up next week, it is going to be a giant show because we got Heath Ledger on a horse. We got aliens attacking a London council block. And we've got Melissa McCarthy shitting into a sink. Head nod wait. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Summer's starting, baby. Yes. And I also like to thank uh, our executive producer this week, Minda Majora. Uh, find out how you can become uh, executive producer. Patreon.com slash laser time. Asking you for five bucks if you can spare it. We'll give you a bunch of extra stuff in return. We can't thank you guys enough for just listening. But if you're willing to go a little further and you got the scratch to do it, patreon.com slash laser time. Now we're going to tell you who, uh, who died during this period of 30, 2010. Across three decades, April 30th through May 6th, who did death come for? Oh, well, in 1991, death came for Jersey Kaczynski, the writer. He was 57. Uh, He wrote Being There. And a lot of people said they were almost a chair in Tate's house the night the Manson family came. He actually was supposed to be a chair in Tate's house, but they lost his luggage. And so he was at the airport. Wow. Yeah. In 2001, we lost the creator of Cliff Notes, Cliff Hilgas, who was 83. That's so crazy. hero. They buried him in a yellow and black coffin. I I, I love it. I always assumed... Cliff stood for something cleverer, an acronym or something. It's but it's like just the Heathcliff. guy. Like Heathcliff. Yeah. 
Exactly. That's what I, th- <laughs> I thought. The little Mel Blanc orange tabby cat. Then in 2011, we lost someone that more people should know about. Jackie Cooper, who is 89. Uh, oh. some, I guess people might remember Miss Perry White from the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. But he was a child actor back in the 30s. And because of the way that they mistreated him, uh, he helped push through a bunch of legislation to help child actors. A, not lose all their money. B, not be made to work insane hours. And C, not be told, I'm going to shoot your dog if you don't cry during this take. (laughs) They used to do that to kids. Yeah. Yep. So, Jackie Cooper. All right. Fought the good fight. With the deaths out of the way, we got to find out who lived, who was born during this period. Birthdays! Oh, birthday is a doodly-doo, a ding-dong-doodly-doodly-ding-dong-doo. Okay, we have birthday buddies this week. Making them the quiz would have been too hard, but I just want to shout out, on May 1st, both Joanna Lumley and John Woo turn 75. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'll release some doves in his honor. And then drink, drink an entire bottle of vodka yeah. for a Patsy I'd from Fab. Love yeah. to see them show up on a red carpet together with no explanation. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> But turning 39 this week, mm-hmm. born April 30th, 1982 in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Dad was an executive from Germany and mom was a flight attendant. That was uh, Portman. No. March Simpson. Guess. No. no. She applied for German sh- citizenship 10 years ago because it makes filming in Europe easier. She started modeling at age three and made her film debut at six in New York stories. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, she's in the Woody Allen part. Scarlett Johansson? Good guess, but no. Oh, it was heartbreaking. Movies of hers we have talked about. Her next part was as Tom Hanks' kid in Bonfire of the Vanities. She was six. Uma Thurman? Nope. She was supposed to be like the romantic. Henry and June. (laughs) Uh Oh. Also, Wag the Dog, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, Mother Night and Small Soldiers. Uh, Kirsten Dunst. Julia Stiles? Kirsten Dunst. Oh, I'm so bad at this now. The streak continues. I have a head injury that I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, you don't remember <laughs> Small Soldiers, the most star-studded Joe oh. Dante movie ever made. I just watched it. <laughs> I just watched uh, it. We also talked about her in All I Want to Do: Get Over It, Spider-Man Three, the U.S. Dub of Kiki's Delivery Service, Drop Dead Gorgeous, that was awesome. Virgin Suicide, Dick, also awesome. Bring It On, super awesome. Marie Antoinette, and we get to talk about Melancholia in a couple of weeks. Oh goodness, we pass on yeah. that. Ooh, we're gonna have to draw straws. Um, I'll let you handle that one, Diana. <laughs> oh boy, I'm on it. All right, maybe maybe my dad wants to see that out, out in the front yard, uh, watching Melancholia in front of the neighborhood. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Please listen to our other shows. Tell a friend about the show, maybe, and we'll close out with the Violent Femmes, American Music. They had an album out this week. Remember? Thanks for listening. Consider reviewing the show. We love you. Get vaccinated, please. It's important. And we'll see you next week. Yeah.